Good morning. As uh, Rich said, uh, my name is Tyler McSwain. I am from Metro North Church. I am on staff there as the director of outreach ministries, uh, currently pursuing uh, uh, going through the whole ordination process through uh, Presbytery right now. I'm at Knox Theological Seminary, a little more than halfway done with a, with a uh, uh, master's in divinity degree, and uh, the, the end can't come soon enough. <laughs> if you've ever taken a foreign language uh, in your life, I just finished Greek 1. Only four more language classes to go, and y'all pray for me. I'm not going to make it. Uh, <laughs> But it's it's no it's 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 really good stuff. I'm really I really am truly blessed to be able to go to a um, uh, seminary and have such great support from uh, my local home church and even from uh, men in our presbytery here locally. Uh, so it's an honor to be here this morning uh, here to you and proclaim the word. So this morning our sermon is going to be in Romans chapter eight. So. Uh, as Rich was saying, uh, starting next week, there's going to be a Bible study going 13 weeks through Romans 8. So today is a bit of a prelude, uh, or, or really we call it a sneak peek uh, into Romans chapter 8 uh, this morning. So, But um, go ahead and turn there if you want to. And as you're getting there, I, I wonder if you've ever asked this question before. Where are you, God? Where are you, God? In other words, have you ever suffered something in the point of your life to where you can't help but feel frustrated and turn to God and say, God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this to happen? I know I certainly have. As a relatively new dad of a -a two-and-a-half-year-old and a a four-month-old, I can tell you all about sleepless nights sitting in a rocking chair uh, with a really sick, helpless kid in my arms, just pleading to God, please, God, help them to finally feel better. Let their suffering come to an end. Only for that suffering to, or that sickness just to keep going and keep going and keep going. I have certainly been there. When we think of suffering, what, what comes to mind for you personally? Usually we think of things like tough times or we think of trials or tribulations that we've had to go through. Uh, and often, we, we go as far as to fool ourselves and to think, man, if God is letting this happen, then this suffering must clearly be evidence that God's, of God's absence and God's apathy in my life. When in fact, as we're going to see today, those moments are really evidence of God's presence using our struggles to lead us to his compassion, his goodness, and with the theme of our sermon today, into his glory. So the question that we're going to ask today is in light of suffering, how do we understand sufferings? How do we understand our tribulations and the present life against a good, wonderful, compassionate, glorious God? So if you would, if you are able, uh, at my church, I'm not sure if you do this here, but at my church, it's our custom that we stand to honor God in the reading of his words. So would you join me this morning if you are able? We're going to be in Romans 8. We're going to actually start in verse 16 in Romans 8, and we're going to go down to verse 30. Romans 8, 16 through 30 says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory 
that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirits grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that, that hope is now that, excuse me, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what do we, what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And if we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who were called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning as a needy people, as a people who have faced sufferings and bear scars from it, as people who are going through sufferings with fresh and open wounds, Lord. But Father, we come before you this morning to acknowledge that you are God, that you are our Lord, that you are King. And we acknowledge, Lord, that God, it is you who is in control this morning. And so we ask this morning, would you work in our hearts? Would you work in our minds, Father? Would you speak to all of us, including me? May your will be done. May your word go forward this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The title of our sermon this morning is called The Glory of the Groan. So again, how are we to understand sufferings in this present life? And I've got three points today that I want to share with you on this. Uh, if you open your bulletins, you, you'll see in the notes section here, I've got some blanks there for you. Uh, and the first, the first point is this, is creation's glorification displaces tribulation. Creation's glorification displaces tribulation. So Paul, being the author of Romans, has certainly seen his fair share of suffering and tribulation. I did a quick deep dive on it just out of curiosity just to see if I could find if someone maybe wrote down all the sufferings and tribulations of Paul just throughout his life and ministry. And so here are just some of the highlights that Paul faced or that, that, uh, that we see from Paul. This isn't a complete list, but here's some of the big ones. So really, the first one, in the eyes of man, you could really consider Paul to be someone who was largely overworked and severely underpaid. Paul suffered persistent physical ailments. He was arrested three times and spent more than five years of his life in prison. 
He faced death on more than one occasion from being both beaten and persecuted. He was whipped at least five times, 40 lashes minus one, beaten three times with rods, and stoned at least once. He was shipwrecked three different times. And one of those times, he spent 24 hours drifting in the open sea. He's had many sleepless nights and times of no food, no water, and no clothes on his back. He was betrayed and abandoned by false brothers, Gentiles, even his own people. And he has certainly faced the various trials that comes with the city life or with living in the wilderness and being, and being uh, sailing out in the sea. All of these things and many, many other things are just some of the sufferings that Paul has faced. Second to Jesus, Paul is considered as one in the Bible who has suffered the most. Certainly, at least in the top three uh, characters we see in the Bible who have suffered the, mo- the most. But yet, here's what I'm, I'm giving you all this because we need to see this. Paul offers a very stark contrast to that suffering. Glory that is still to come. As followers of Christ, we are given a promise. And I wonder if we were reading, if you caught on to that promise, look back here with me in verses 16 through 17, as Paul says this. He says, again, the the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Really, when we read these verses, we find two major things. The first is that we get an assurance of our identity. We are children of God, and we are heirs with Christ. So as children and as heirs, we have an inheritance, which is that we get to share in the glory of Christ. But as followers of Christ, we also are promised to share in his sufferings. Now, that's hard to hear because we want all the benefits, all the glory of following Christ, but we don't want the suffer and the sacrifice that comes with it. Because Christ suffered, we too suffer alongside of him. But listen, the thing we need to understand is this is not the end of the story. I've heard preachers say, we suffer because Christ suffers and then leave it there. That's true, but that's not the end of the story. And that's certainly not the promise. The good news comes in verse 17, which shows us that, and this is the second thing we find in these verses, is that the promise is that we will be glorified with him. How do we know that we're followers of Christ? The Spirit attests to it. We share in the sufferings, but then we share in the glory. Let's also look here at verse 18, Paul's perspective on suffering versus glory. He says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul is saying is there is no comparison between our temporary suffering and the eternal glory that is coming. Our temporary, our, our, excuse me, our suffering is temporary. 
but the glory remains forever because Christ is forever. There's a story I read uh, about struggles and suffering here that a man wrote, and it says, uh, a man found a cocoon of an emperor moth and took it home to watch it to emerge. One day, a small opening appeared, and for several hours, the moth struggled but couldn't seem to force its body past a certain point. Deciding that something was wrong, the man took scissors and snipped the remaining bit of the cocoon. The moth emerged easily, its body's large and swollen, but its wings small and shriveled up. He expected that in a few hours, the wings would spread out in their natural beauty and all of their glory, but they did not. Instead of developing into the, uh, to a beautiful creature that was free, free to fly, the moth spent its life dragging around a swollen body and shriveled wings. You see, the, const- the constricting cocoon and the struggle that the moth has to take to pass through such a tiny opening is God's way and God's design to force fluid from the body into the wings. The merciful snip by the man was in reality very cruel. And sometimes for us, the struggle is exactly what we need to make us into the beautiful creation that we are purposed to be. So listen, if you're someone who's here today who is suffering or someone who has faced many sufferings in your lifetime, I want to give you the good news that our suffering is not in vain. It's not pointless. It's not without meaning. What I'm not saying today is that God wants you to suffer. Please don't hear that. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that God allows temporary, only temporary sufferings so that he can use it to mold you and to shape you to be more like Christ, to follow in the footsteps of Christ so that you can share in Christ's glory. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 4.17, uh, very similar. He says, for this light monetary, or excuse me, light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I, I love what Jesus here says in, in uh, Jesus six, uh, sorry, John sixteen thirty three. Jesus says this. He tells us, "In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, because I have overcome the world." We are being prepared for glory, but in the meantime, are you willing to place your hope and your need for victory into the hands of Christ? He is the only one who understands our suffering better than anyone. And he is the only one who has overcome the world in such a way to where he can give you total victory. While we are promised tribulations, we are also promised that our suffering will be temporary, but basking in Christ's eternal glory will be forever. So how else are we to understand our sufferings of this time? Point number two is this, creation's frustrations awaits liberation. Creation's frustrations awaits liberation. In verses 19 through 24, 
Paul's explaining that since creation became corrupted with the fall of Adam, creation itself has been groaning, eagerly awaiting liberation, desperately wanting a cure. Can you relate to desperately wanting a cure for something or a solution to something? As believers who suffer today, we join with all of creation in our groaning. We groan with all of creation since the beginning of Adam. But let's, let's get down to the root of it, though, for a second. I was thinking about this. I thought, why, why are we all groaning together in creation? Why? What's, what's really the problem? I, I really, the groaning is just a symptom of a greater problem, right? So why are we really all groaning together? Why is there limitations in this life? Why is there sufferings and tribulations we face in this life? It really, the heart of it is, since the fall of man, the very core of our identity is missing. We, as creation, in our sinfulness, in our corruption, we have separated ourselves from the Creator. Now, hear me carefully when I say that. We have separated ourselves from our Creator. Jesus tells us in John 4, 16, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden in Genesis 3, the punishment was not just merely, oh, you don't get to enjoy the benefits of the garden anymore. It was separation from God's very presence. The very life root, the very essence of our beings, separated. Even now as believers who have the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit, we're still not fully complete. Look, at, look back at me, with me at verses 23, 24. It says this. Paul says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoptions of sons, for the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. These verses help us understand that even though we are in Christ, we are still not fully complete. We might be asking yourself, well, wait a second, Tyler, what do you mean? I thought once I was saved in Christ, I was redeemed. Well, yes and no. Let me, let, me, let me explain here. There's a phrase that's used among theologians, and some of you may have heard this phrase. It's called the already, but not yet. In other words, when we are in Christ, we are certainly redeemed. Don't mishear me. We are certainly redeemed. There's nothing more that we must do other than just to keep following Christ and persevere in following Christ. But we still live in corrupted bodies, within a corrupted world. This is not God's design. As part of sharing in Christ's glory, when he returns, the Bible tells us that he will make all of heaven and all of earth new, including our bodies. All, uh, all of creation will be made new. And that is the hope that we have, that Paul talks about. This is the hope that we were saved. That is the hope that we have both in the present and the future with Christ's return. No more groaning, just Christ's glory. But until then, we are redeemed and still being redeemed. The already, but not yet. Paul explains it like this in Philippians 3, 3, 20 through 21. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to uh, even to subject all things to himself. When we get frustrated with the way that the world is going, when we get frustrated with the way our lives are going, we need to remember that God is not done redeeming us. His work in us is not yet complete. It has not fully realized. It is not fully manifested. And that is why when times get tough and things get hard, the worst thing we could do is abandon God and turn away from God and walk away from God. Because it's in those moments of trials and tribulations and they come our way that we need to hold on to him and depend to him, depend on all the more so that he can keep redeeming us and make us more like Christ. The famous preacher D.L. Moody told the story about a Christian woman who was always bright and cheerful and optimistic, even though she was confined to her room because she was suffering from an ongoing illness. She lived in an attic apartment on the fifth floor of an old, run-down building. A friend decided to visit her one day and brought along another woman, a person of great wealth and reputation. Since there was no elevator, the two ladies began to climb a long, upward uh, set of stairs. And when they reached the second floor, the wealthy woman commented, What a dark and filthy place. But her friend replied, It gets better higher up. So when they arrived at the third landing, the, the remark was made again, Man, things even, work, uh, things even look worse here. But again, she replied, It gets better higher up. The two women finally reached the attic level where they found the bedridden Christian woman. A smile on her face radiated with joy that filled her heart. Although the room was clean and flowers were on the windowsill, the wealthy visitor could not uh, get over the stark surroundings in which this woman lived. She blurted out, it must be very difficult for you to suffer while living here in a place like this. Without a moment's hesitation, the Christian woman responded, it gets better higher up. She wasn't, looking at, uh, she wasn't looking at temporary things. With her eye fixed on faith of the eternal kingdom of Christ, she had found this, the secret of true joy and contentment. How have you been frustrated with life? And how have you responded to those frustrations with your sufferings? If you're like me, you tend to self-medicate. This is a word I like, I like to use a lot when I'm counseling people. You like to self-medicate before going to God. In other words, when we face trials, when we face hard times, our first response is to take it into our hands and self-medicate with things that we think will satisfy, things that we think will give us a cure, but the reality is they always leave us empty. Wanting more. Here's just a, a few things I listen. Now, hang on for me here, okay? I'm not trying to step on toes, but just hear me out for a minute. Alcohol, drugs, shopping, materialism, status reputation, relationships, looking at things we shouldn't look at on the internet, money, wealth, indulging in food, busyness, productivity, goals, and accomplishments. Most of these things in of themselves are not bad, so please don't mishear me. 
But there's an expression that some of you have probably heard before, is that we can take any good thing and make it into a God thing, God lowercase g. We can make it into a God thing, an idol that we put in place of depending on God first. We need to be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves with what things we turn to in order to self-medicate instead of depending on God to be the solution and the cure. I certainly have my things. I certainly know what my things are. But thank goodness Christ does not give up on redeeming us. Let's take our frustrations. Let's take our limitations. Let's take these great desires that we have in our, heart, in our hearts to Christ where only he can satisfy, where only he can provide the cure. Everything else is temporary. And his glory and his redemption in us is forever. What in your life do you need to invite Christ to redeem? So how do we get help with our sufferings today? That leads us to our third point here, which is Christians limitation receives intercession. See, the first two we said creation, creation. Now we're saying Christians because this point is only good news and hope for Christians. As our creator, God knows us and he knows our limitations and he knows our weaknesses so well that he knew we would still need help even after we were redeemed by Christ. So in being redeemed, he gave us his presence through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. In John 14, the Holy Spirit is nicknamed helper, counselor, advocate. In verses 26 through 27 here in Romans 8, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that he gets to, he intercedes for us in prayer. Let, let's take a look at this because we're going to dive into this here a bit. 26 through 27 says this, Likewise, the Spirit, as in the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to God's will. Have you ever been so overwhelmed, so caught off guard, so confused by a situation that you knew you needed God, but you just weren't sure exactly what to pray or what to say? Like you're going before God almost just speechless. It might sound something like this. God, I don't even know what to say. I just know I need you. Or even just this, two simple words. God, help. I know I have certainly had those moments and times of prayer. What's so encouraging about the Holy Spirit is that we don't have to come before God in prayer with everything already figured out. We just read that the Holy Spirit helps us in our own groanings with even more groanings on our behalf that are too deep for words. It's it's like we're groaning. He's just like, oh, yeah, I get it. Oh, that's, I mean... He, he, he intercedes for us. He groans for us and he groans with us. And the Spirit not only aids us in our prayer, 
But verse 27 says that the Holy Spirit prays for us on our behalf in accordance to God's will. We often go to God in prayer wondering, God, what's your will? God, here's my will. Can you make that your will, right? <laughs> God, here's what I want. Hope, hope you work that out. But we don't, we often, most often than not, we don't know the will of God. But guess who does? The Holy Spirit. So even if we don't have all of our prayers figured out, even if we don't just pray things just right, the Holy Spirit steps in and helps us in our prayers. So if you don't know what to pray, it's okay. Just go to God and say, God, all I have is God help. That's all, that's all I can say. That's, that's all I know I need. And he will take it from there. And he will lead you on how to pray. It's okay to ask God, I don't know what to pray. Holy Spirit, give me the words. And listen, let me be the first person to tell you from experience, the Holy Spirit never fails. It might take me a minute to get over the emotional, the emotions and the mental things I'm processing, but the Holy Spirit shows up. There's something else that we need to see here. As we pray, and as the Holy Spirit prays God's will on our behalf, God moves. God's at work. Look here in verses 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. When we pray, God acts out his will for your life. Whatever that is, whatever his will looks like, I guarantee you it is for your good and for his glory. But we are too quick to think, well, God didn't answer my prayer. No, the reality is, is God always answers our prayers, but we often miss it because we are too inward focused looking to see if God answered prayers the way we wanted, not the way he wills. When we go before God in prayer, we need to always keep our hearts open to praying for things and according to his will. I guarantee you, his will, as we said earlier, his will of benefit for you is better than anything you could have thought. Listen, y'all, there are times I have prayed, and boy, if God had answered my prayers the way I wanted him to, it would not have been for my good. <laughs> God's way always is better. It's hard to see that sometimes when we're suffering, when we're going through tough times. But listen, our suffering is temporary, but his glory is forever. And that's where he's leading us. His word assures us too in verses 29 and 30 that in according to God's will and purpose for us, even in our prayers, it is his will that acts on our lives so that we can be justified and glorified with Christ. There's a story of a businessman from time to time. He would write uh, a report to the chairman of the board of his corporation. He would write the letter and would give it to the secretary, and she would read it and then type it for him on company letterhead. To his approval, she would correct uh, grammatical mistakes and misspellings, and then she would send the letter off to his superiors. After doing this many times, he received accommodation for his good work and timely reports that helped improve their business. Now, 
he knew deep in his heart that he had commented on a few things and suggested others, but he didn't feel like he deserved such accolades. So we went back to the reports uh, that he hand wrote and compared them with, uh, with the ones the secretary typed. And he discovered that his secretary had typed out not what he said, but what he had really meant. And with that award he received, he gave her an award of her own. This, show, this, this story shows us what the Holy Spirit does for us. We pray our prayers to the Lord with our hearts not sure of what to pray. And the Holy Spirit intercedes and says it for, for us. We need to ask ourselves this. Do we pray in our times of weakness and limitation and suffering? I talked about self-medicating earlier. Knowing that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in our weakness should encourage us to pray more often than we do. God's word says in 2 Corinthians 12, 19, and Rich actually said this earlier, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness. In this, we have the promise that when we go before God with our weakness, he not only hears our prayers, but he also works and moves in our lives, again, for our benefit and for his glory. But are we willing to trust in him that when we pray, his will in answering our prayer, not our, not our will, but his will, is for his good purposes in our lives. Once again, it is his will, not ours, that allows for us to share in Christ's glory. So as we get ready to to close out and move to a time of communion, I want to remind you of just a couple of things that we've talked about today. First, if you're someone who has suffered or you're suffering today, God's word encourages us that our suffering is not in vain. It's not meaningless. It's not pointless. In fact, the good news of the gospel is that when we temporarily suffer in following Christ, we share in his glory. Second, in suffering, you're not alone. In fact, all of creation, including believers today, join you in groaning and sufferings. However, the good news is we have hope that we are not only redeemed now, but Christ is still at work. And we will see his work fully perfected, fully completed in our lives when he returns. Third, We not only have a hope for the future, but we can have hope now in our suffering that when we go before God in prayer, the Holy Spirit helps us in our groanings and helps our prayer lead to God moving his will into our lives. We can go before God confident that his purpose is worked out for our benefit. When we are in Christ, we can have the peace and the hope that we will one day be forever in his glory. Would you pray with me? Father, you are so good to us. There's that time in John when Jesus sees the the, the large multitude following him and there are people who are needy, people who are hungry, people who are starving and thirsty and, 
your word says that he looked on them with compassion. Jesus, we know now today that as your sheep, as your followers, we know now that we have your compassion for us. You do not overlook our sufferings, but you acknowledge them and you you're there with us, helping us to get through it. And you're there with your Holy Spirit, aiding us in our prayers and our groanings and comforting us, counseling us, advocating for us. Father, I pray if there's anybody here today who just has a great burden weighing on their minds, things that keep them up at night when they sleep, Father, would you help them to turn their hearts to you? Would you help them, help us all to turn our hearts to you in prayer? dependence upon you and not just praying and depending, but trusting, trusting as your word says that you are leading us to your glory, that we are following in the footsteps of Christ that he understands more than anybody else. Father, we give you all the glory, all the honor and all the prayers. Jesus, thank you for coming, for dying, for raising again and for ascending so that we could have life in your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.